The Future of Walls or Liberation by Alexander Avigna. The activist slogan, none of us are free until Palestine is free, resonates strongly in certain parts of Latin America, or perhaps in most of the region. Since the 1970s, the export of Israeli weapons, technologies, counterinsurgency doctrines, and military advisors to many Latin American countries has resulted in the bloody maintenance of brutal oligarchic regimes in the face of popular challenge from below. Quote, Palestine is Israel's workshop, end of quote, writes journalist Anthony Lowenstein in his new must-read book, The Palestine Laboratory. Quote, a laboratory for the most precise and successful methods of domination, end of quote. The commercialization and export of those methods of domination developed and tested on Palestinians in the occupied territories, found willing buyers in Cold War Latin America. They still do, including in the Colossus of the North and its penchant for Israeli border wall technology and police training. Climate change, imperial wars, and the U.S. fondness for collective punishment in the form of sanctions continue to generate more and more mass refugee displacement. Global North nations have responded by betting on more apartheid walls, more border police, more surveillance. A rather stark, uncomplicated choice thus emerges. Do we side with the wall builders and their apartheid counterinsurgent technology that kills refugees in places like the Sonoran Desert or the Mediterranean Sea? Or those who yearn to storm and smash walls with their dreams of a more just, free future for all? In this short primer, I focus on the counterinsurgent wall builders and their bloody legacy in Cold War Latin America, particularly in Central America, at war with their own people, at times cut off from U.S. military and economic aid due to their genocidal policies. Some of these murderous regimes turn to Israel and its, quote, battle-tested, end of quote, technology of oppression. As the, quote, largest American aircraft carrier in the world that cannot be sunk, end of quote, Israel serves as a sort of proxy for U.S. interests in the region. It worked with dictatorships and death squads when the U.S. could not. A former head of the Knesset Foreign Relations Committee succinctly explained why, in 1985, quote, Israel is a pariah state. When people ask us for something, we cannot afford to ask questions about ideology. The only type of regime that Israel would not aid would be one that is anti-American. Also, if we can aid a country that it may be inconvenient for the U.S. to help, we would be cutting off our nose to spite our face not to, end of quote. The people of Central America, the delicate, the delicate waste of America, to borrow from Chilean poet Pablo Neruda, still live with the deadly consequences of the wall builder's handiwork. We think the Israelis would be best because they have the best, because they have the technical expertise. Latin America and Israel possess deep historic ties. For example, Anastasio Somoza, dictator of Nicaragua, secretly smuggled weapons to Zionist militias during the late 1930s and 40s that they used in attacks on Palestinians and the British. At the United Nations in 1947-1948, the region overwhelmingly voted as a regional bloc, with the exception of Cuba, to support the establishment of the State of Israel. Indeed, diplomats from Guatemala and Uruguay quote, provided much of the final form of the UNSCOP partition plan, end of quote. Journalist Victor Pereira remembered as a child when diplomat Jorge Garcia Granados, 
one of the three authors of the partition plan, came to his Guatemalan synagogue, quote, praising Israeli kibbutzim, a concept that he hoped could be adopted to Guatemala's rural areas, end of quote. Ironically, the journalist noted, it would be the genocidal Guatemalan military that implemented that rural model decades later as a form of counterinsurgent population control. For both Latin American Israeli ties and the latter's domestic arms industry, 1967 represented a key turning point. In spite of consistent support for Israel at the UN, many of the region's governments during the, the 1950s and 1970s, the streets and countryside in Latin America began to, began to forge forceful critiques after the Six-Day War. And in response to what historian Paul Thomas Chamberlain refers to as the Palestine Liberation Organization, PLO, multifaceted global offensive. Domestically, the war and subsequent arms embargoes enacted by its principal benefactor, France, convinced the Israeli government to rapidly organize a constellation of state and privately owned defense companies into a heavily subsidized military industrial complex. By the 1970s, this complex occupied a central place in the broader Israeli economy as a lucrative export sector. The sale of weapons around the world helped mitigate a consistent, quote, negative balance of trade and decline in balance of payments, end of quote. Defense company officials touted their Uzis, Galils, Tadiran surveillance com computer systems, and Araba planes as battle or field testing, most especially on Palestinians in the occupied territories or Lebanon. The violent imperatives of settler colonialism became comparative advantage. Along with this settler colonial tech, Israel possessed an additional advantage. It sold to almost any country, no questions asked. Quote, we sell to everyone. That is, we don't sell to our enemies or to the Soviet bloc, end of quote. Foreign Minister Yitzhak Shamir told the Los Angeles Times in 1981, the list of pariah nations is long. Apartheid South Africa, post-Jakarta method Indonesia, Iran under the Shah, the viciously anti-Semitic Argentine military dictatorship from 1976 to 1983 that disappeared 30,000 people. 1980s Zaire, under the dictatorial rule of Mobutu Sese Seku, a Haiti terrorized by the Duvaliers, and the Hutu regime in Rwanda while it carried out its 1994 genocide. According to the CIA, Augusto Pinochet's Chile valued, quote, Israel's battle-tested equipment, end of quote. As Israeli Minister of the Economy Yaakov Meridor argued, quote, we will say to the Americans, don't compete with us in Taiwan. Don't compete with us in South Africa. Don't compete with us in the Caribbean or in other places where you can't sell arms directly. Let us do it. Israel will be your intermediary. The list also includes paramilitary death squads like the Nicaraguan Contras who received thousands of AK-47 rifles seized by the Israeli military during its 1982 invasion of Lebanon and training from Israeli advisors. Contra leader Adolfo Calero preferred Israeli assistance because, quote, they have the technical experience, end of quote. Carlos Castaño, head of Colombia's murderous right-wing paramilitary death squad, the Autodefensas Unidas de Colombia, the AUC, from the 1990s until his death in 2004, claimed in his autobiography that he had traveled to Israel for extensive military training in the 1980s. Quote, I copied the concept of paramilitary forces from the Israelis, end of quote, he wrote. What others regard as dirty work, psychologist Benjamin Bate Halami explained in 1983, 
Israelis regard as defensible duty and even, in some cases, an exalted calling. Quote, all of a sudden, the methods that proved efficient at Nablus and Hebron begin speaking Spanish. It was in the killing fields of Central America where Israeli weapons, technology, and military advisors demonstrated their most profound and long-lasting counterinsurgent impact. During the 1970s and 80s, a series of dictatorial governments backed by militaries and landed oligarchies unleashed wide-scale repression against their own people. Popular demands for democracy and social justice were met by state terror. This, in turn, sparked mass political radicalization, and in countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Nicaragua, powerful instances of collective armed struggle. A mix of liberation theology and heterodox Marxisms fueled popularly backed guerrilla organizations. Facing these revolutionary threats, regimes intensified and expanded their terroristic responses, armed, trained, and supported by the Israeli military industrial complex. These murderous responses at times forced the U.S. government to withhold or suspend military aids during the late 1970s and 80s. So Israel stepped in. The Somoza regime forces that the Frente Sandinista de Liberación Nacional, the Sandinistas, overthrew in 1979, were almost exclusively armed with Israeli weapons. Jimmy Carter had suspended U.S. aid in 1978. From 1975 to 1979, 83% of defense imports to El Salvador came from Israel after the U.S. withheld aid in response to government repression. This relationship intensified after 1991 when the U.S. Congress prevented Ronald Reagan from extending military aid to the ruling civilian military junta absent significant progress on human rights and democratic reform. Israel provided at least 100 military trainers, computers, weapons, and as Air Force Commander Rafael Bustillo admitted in 1984, napalm. Cut off from U.S. armaments in 1977, Guatemala also received the vast majority of its armaments and military assistance from Israel well into the 1980s. It even got its own munitions and parts factory for Galil assault rifles. In those Central American killing fields, some military officials voiced another reason why they turned to Israeli arms and methods. When a journalist asked Salvadorian Colonel Sigifredo Ochoa Perez, if his counterinsurgent methods were based on U.S. policy in Vietnam, he answered, quote, they lost. The Americans know nothing. The Taiwanese and the Israelis do know, end of quote. Having received military training in Israel during the mid-1970s, Ochoa Perez was also influenced by that country's foreign policy towards its neighbors. Accusing Sandinista Nicaragua of supporting Salvadorian guerrillas, he wanted to enact the, quote-unquote, Israeli solution the invasion of their neighboring country. Quote, for Ochoa, Milton Jamal and Margot Gutierrez wrote, Nicaragua would become Central America's Lebanon. Central American reactionaries like Ochoa Perez, journalist George Black argued, admired the 1982 invasion, quote, on so many levels. Israel was a country which used decisive military force to resolve its contradictions, did so in open defiance of world opinion, and was able to bend Washington to its will. End of quote. Some things haven't changed. In Guatemala, the importation of Israeli pacification tactics, advisors, and technology originally developed in the occupied territories proved deepest and most extensive. In the midst of a so-called quiet genocide committed against Mayan community during the early 1980s, these scorched earth military campaigns designed with the assistance of Israeli military advisors, right-wing Guatemalans discussed the so-called 
Palestinianization of the country's indigenous peoples who comprise more than half of the country's population. Israeli advisors told Guatemalan milita military officers to, quote, treat the Indians like the Palestinians, don't trust any of them, end of quote. This type of treatment led to the eradication of entire indigenous villages, the demolishing of sacred sites, and more than 600 massacres. Some of these massacres, like the one at Los Erres, where elite soldiers raped women and young girls, killed children with sledgehammers, and murdered at least 300 villagers in December 1982, bore evidence of Israeli influence. A 1999 UN Truth Commission report, journalist Anthony Lowenstein reports, discovered, quote, bullet fragments from firearms and pods of Galil rifles made in Israel, end of quote. By 1983, the military had killed more than 100,000 Mayans and forced another 100,000 to flee to Mexico. In a report on Guatemala from early 1983, as the military waged its genocidal campaign, then CBS News anchorman Dan Rather succinctly summarized Israel's competitive edge when it came to the arms business. Quote, Israel has helped Guatemala with no questions asked, and they didn't send down congressmen, human rights activists, or priests. They set up their intelligence network, tried and tested on the West Bank and Gaza, simply designed to beat the guerrilla, end of quote. Or as a 2011 promotional video for Israeli defense and security company Global CST put it, after describing a 2008 Colombian military raid into Ecuador that assassinated a senior Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia or FARC commander, quote, all of a sudden, the methods that proved efficient in Nablus and Hebron begin speaking Spanish, end of quote. By the 1990s, that murderous translation contributed to more than half a million deaths, disappearances, and refugees from Central America. In the process, Israel had become the world's largest exporters of arms per capita. It still is. The Palestine-Mexico border, a conclusion. In a Twitter post dated 14 November 2023, Dr. Ghassan Abu Sita, a plastic and reconstructive surgeon until recently based at Gaza's Al-Akhli Hospital, described receiving patients with dozens of chest and neck gunshot wounds fired from low-flying Israeli sniper drones. Quote, when it comes to killing, he posted, they are so innovative. End of quote. The types of quotidian and genocidal violence needed to uphold Israeli colonial occupation and apartheid may take place in faraway Gaza and the West Bank, but its technologies will and already have come home. The innovation that Dr. Abu Sita describes is an immensely lucrative one, with willing buyers around the world who desire battle-tested repressive technology. I write this a relatively short drive away from the 50-plus Elbit Systems-built surveillance towers that guard the Arizona-Mexico border, possibly alongside Border Patrol agents that have traveled to Israel for training. This is the Palestine-Mexico border, built on top of ongoing U.S. settler colonial projects that continue to strip indigenous communities of the land and sovereignty and maintained with technology violently developed in Gaza and the West Bank. Many within the Toho'ono Odham nation did not want those Elbit towers on their land. And yet there they stand, waging counterinsurgency against refugees. The ongoing genocide in Gaza will produce new Israeli technologies of oppression and containment, 
New sniper drones, new walls, new bombs, new spyware, all tested on Palestinian communities will emerge, ready to be sold to governments more interested in counterinsurgency and population control than democratic governance. As such, the Palestinian struggle for national liberation and self-determination continues to possess a vital global dimension. It does not stop at the walls and militarized borders of Gaza or the West Bank. To support their liberation is, in a sense, to support the liberation of all. Palestinian liberation is thus intimately connected to our own. This goes beyond solidarity. Perhaps the millions of people who have taken to the streets over the past two plus months sense this. Palestinian scientist and environmentalist Dr. Mazen Kumsier articulated this idea during his August 2023 visit to the Arizona-Mexico border. Journalist Todd Miller describes how, standing under the shadow of an Elbit surveillance tower, Dr. Kumsier spoke of global change as a, quote, global Nakba. To fight against Elbit Towers was to fight against the Global North's apartheid response to climate change. Quote, they want us to be divided and not a joint struggle, Dr. Kamsiya said. I don't like the word solidarity. I'm not in solidarity with Native Americans. Their struggle is my struggle. End of quote.